We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What is going on, Rotogrinders? Welcome for the very last time to the NFL Pick 6 show, Pick 4 show this week, talking every single game that's left on the NFL slate. Going to be an awesome one. Four games going down, as usual. Bringing in Rich Rebar from Sharp Football Analysis, John Daigle from NBC Sports, a good football show podcast. Uh, we're fucking four games. We're, you know, we're breaking format, obviously. We're going to focus on every single one. No reason to run them back because we already knocked out the four uh, instead of focusing on the, on the three as we did throughout the season. You guys know, seriously, at this point, 18 weeks, whatever it is, longest season ever. You guys know the format, how it goes down here. Uh, let's look back. Uh, just take a peek as far as last week. Uh, Daigle, uh, any thoughts as far as a super wild card weekend? Uh, we should probably ban the seventh seed because those teams <laughs> were were not pretty. Even the games that were good, like the Bills-Patriots game, like we think that's good because the football was good. Uh, the football wasn't good from both sides, but on one side, it was a lot of fun to watch. So overall, even like the competitiveness clearly lacked lots of bad games, lots of duds, even the Bucks eagles game, really big dud there. So I think these four games, though, we should be really excited about. Some rematches, yes, but also just the offenses feel like they at least deserve to be here against one another. Lots of chess key, less chess components in these matchups. Uh, Going to go out on a limb and say there's no chance they retract to seven seed because money, m- money matters. <laughs> they play the games for money. Uh, Not only that, but like, who knows? They'll probably just add a couple weeks and throw an eighth seed in there. Sure. Oh, yeah. Why not? Uh, Rich, your thoughts as far as a uh, super wild card weekend and any big takeaways? Uh, no. Yeah. I mean, uh, pretty much all the chalk happened. Even the one upset was a chalk pick. Uh, so yeah, we kind of really didn't have that kind of feeling of we said, Oh, it was such a big NFL season filled with parody. Uh, anything can happen in these games. And uh, no, that was not the case at all. Uh, basically everything we thought that had a real high probability of chance of happening did happen last week. 
Even the end of the Cowboys game, which like was default, like I guess the best game of the weekend, even the end of that game felt like watching like an NBA game where like a team is just fouling and like dudes are splitting free throws. It was like, it wasn't like, it wasn't like it was like a great back and forth game. It was pretty like kind of gross affair with all the penalties and kind of like botched plays. Uh, it was just the closest game of the weekend. The the quarterback draw was the best thing to ever happen to the Cowboys because now no one remembers they were down 23-7 at some point. They were getting run out of the sta- their own stadium at one point. Was if Garoppolo ever- didn't get hurt, like that game would probably falls apart. I, if, if Nick Bosa and Fred Warner don't get hurt, like do the Cowboys even score a second time? Did we ever get clarification? Was that like a Dak audible or is that like the actual, was that the play? Yeah, like to, to, they've acknowledged they practiced that. But wait, but the 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 were they aware of the clock? Yeah, hey, I so, mean, typically everyone says like you run it with sixteen seconds or more, basically yeah. like every NFL like talking head on TV this week. Uh, but you know, and and you don't try to run for an extra t- twelve yards. But mm-hmm. I saw someone say like it did, it would have added win probability to like the the play itself, like the next play. But it still was they still needed like a, a long shot play to to cash in. Yeah, uh, I mean that was a wild way, and of course the holding that's kind of been kind of screwed the time as well too. And they also remember they were they were running that play when they talk about having practiced it under the utmost perfect conditions. Like they hadn't actually practiced when they're scrambling in a must-win <laughs> contest with refs and fans getting in the way. Like that, like the ref even how far he was behind the play. They didn't practice these things, so they only they actually were not prepared for it, despite telling you they were prepared for it. Yeah, well, you know, I'm sure they learned their lesson and they'll figure it out for next um, year. Yeah, I mean, oh, the Cowboys yeah. had the ball of a drive before that. They had the ball with the same score with two minutes and 40 seconds left and went, they, they went, they went out of downs. Like they had, they had plenty of shots before that. Yeah. And like the, the hold on defense kind of mucked things up as well, too, where it seemed completely unnecessary as well. If you kind of watch the replay, like, the play was going to be dead anyway. The tackle was going to be made, but the most penalized team in the NFL during the regular season somehow had uh, a bunch of penalties in the in the postseason and, co- and complained about it. <laughs> and then Dak apologized, but yeah, he, he retracted it. Yeah, he, he apologized via tweet, like said, "I'm sorry." Like, I, yeah, Dak yeah, I had a shot to win the game with two minutes to go. Like, he, he doesn't deserve to, to to take any shots at the ref for getting. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. We come spent on. an hour and a half last week breaking down all six games. Hopefully, we're not around for another hour and a half. By the way, somebody in the, the YouTube comments, shout out to this person, they, they summarized the hour and a half. They said, well, what are they talking about? It's football. It's the playoffs. Anyone can get hot. I guess we can just say that, Rich, right? Just like get out of here. Call, call the show. Let's talk about other things. Anyone That's can the- get hot. <laughs> That's play who you want. <laughs> but what, what else than that as far as, as far as analysis? That's, I mean, that's kind of true, sort of, I guess. It's not wrong. Not helpful. But, uh, yeah, we can only, yeah. The, the. The exact plays we may not have gotten exactly, but I think we painted the game scripts pretty well, actually. Uh, I felt rather confident, and that's even as someone who had money on the Patriots and Eagles covering. Um, we also knew how those items could get out of hand, and those games did get out of hand. And it wasn't like surprising they got out of hand. It's like everything went one direction, and we expected that could have happened. Uh, the only thing that we knew is that, you know, the Steelers weren't going to make it happen, and they did not, so... I think, yeah, everything was pretty predictable, honestly. Is Mason Rudolph really going to be the starting quarterback for Pittsburgh? No, that's K- not really, that's not happening, like, right? Cable is, I mean. He's he's out of control. There's, there's no I, way that's happening, right? This guy. I, I still, I still kind of think 
they're going to screw this up and he'll be the starting quarterback. But there is a one beat reporter hammering the drum and only one. No one's following along in his path. It's one individual. Yeah. And he, he was doing it during the season too, mind you. Like, yes. like the Steelers have figured everything out on January 19th. Like the, the, they're just all in on, on Mason Rudolph. Pittsburgh beat reporter slash like Mason Rudolph's like agent or something. I, I can't believe that's possible, but whatever. We'll see. We're talking about DFS this week. We're setting the groundwork. This is kind of a first look. We're recording on a Wednesday night. Not all the information is complete. We're going to do our best to figure it out. Uh, worth mentioning before we kind of break it down game by game, the sites are doing stuff a little bit differently. The biggest contest on DK, shout out to DK. Their mm-hmm. biggest contests are the four game slate. I do appreciate that. Of course, you can play two and two. Uh, Yahoo, I think it's like a $500,000 contest, just Sunday only, like $250,000. Uh, uh, both of them without any rake at all. 250 as far as Saturday uh, only. They do have like a 50,000 like full day slate. Fandle kind of took that route as well with their biggest contests are Saturday only and yeah. Sunday only. They do have a four gamer. It's not as appealing as far as the prize pools, but there are decent enough prize pools, I suppose. And Rich, it sounds like you, uh, you're you with me. You prefer the four game uh, you know, contest as opposed to the two and two. I'm going to still play them begrudgingly, <laughs> but I, I, wanna, I want the four games to work with. They know they've got our rake. They, they yeah. get away with murder. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's the last kind of like real, like legitimate slate of the season. So like, you know, having four games, you know, because we're going to go down to just have the two games next week. Then you've obviously just got a showdown for the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, I was looking forward to just having more of this. I'm someone that plays more on FanDuel and it's it's just not optimal. The the tournaments aren't really good on the Sunday, Saturday through Sunday. Uh, and the pricing is significantly worse on FanDuel this weekend than it is on DraftKings. So I'm very sad. Uh, to just shuffle a bunch of money over to DraftKings and try to get my fix in one last time. I play the two game slates, but admittedly have not been doing well at them. Uh, you have to just get everything right. It's almost like a showdown slate. I hate showdowns because uh, you have to get everything right. Whereas, you know, this past week, the six game slate, that was fun because we had three days of late swapping. And like, that's kind of where we take advantage because everyone forgets to late swap. And so again, for the four game slate, we're going to have two days and it's going to stretch across four island games of late swapping. So really looking forward to it. All right, first game, we're going to break down the first game that's going down amongst the four, Cincinnati at Tennessee. Tennessee is a four-point favorite here, uh, three and a half, actually, if you want to get all technical. 47 as far as the total. The big storyline in this game, obviously, is Derrick Henry. Not officially, officially back, but the presumption is he'll be back. Um, John, you know, speaking of pricing, Henry on FanDuel is 9K, but he's 7.5 on DK. So whatever sort of concerns you may have as far as uh, – well, workload and all that kind of stuff. And it is do or die as far as, you know, you got to win in advance, that kind of thing. And he's well, his body is well rested outside of his foot, maybe screwed up. We'll see. <laughs> Hopefully he's fine. But uh, yeah, we got to start at Derrick Henry. I assume you're assuming he's going to play. We'll, we'll adjust otherwise. But as of right now, the presumption is that Henry's going to go. It would be better if it was a late swap opportunity too for Sunday, but this is the first kickoff of the week. Thus, everyone's going to have the Henry information by the time kickoffs happen, whether it's the second FFPC contest or DFS slate. So we will get the news no matter what. And what we do know is that through week eight with Derrick Henry available, Titans averaged 28 points per game, 5.5 yards per play. Whereas from that point forward without Henry, 21 points per game and 4.8 yards per play. I know Rich has some other splits he'll get into since the Titans have literally just never really had everyone on the field and it's all over the place. But uh, also what we do know is that Julio came back somewhat healthy in week 18. You could also say maybe it was because they played the Texans, but 
A.J. Brown had an 18.7% target share in that one alongside Julio, who led the team with nine targets. But if you look overall at the six games they played together, A.J. Brown still led the team with a 33.5% target share in those six other games. So I still like expanding out and trying to look at the full picture of it and saying, okay, despite getting three fewer targets than Julio Jones in week 18. I still want to be overweight on A.J. Brown here, especially since the Bengals permitted the third most passes of 20 plus yards against them this year. What the Bengals do to counteract on offense, that's another situation we have to talk about it. Just like with the Raiders last week, we were scared they weren't going to push it and they really didn't. But overall, that's how I see the Titans attacking and this one, whether Derrick Henry is available or not, uh, I think we could get some success from Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, Rich, uh, start with Henry and then kind of branch off from there as far as the Titans. Yeah, I mean, I, I focused on Derrick Henry. The, the appeal here is more of what he does for the, the lifting all tides of the offense. I mean, yeah, like they said, they, they only played 120 offensive snaps this season with all of Derrick Henry, Arthur Juan, and Julio Jones on the field this season. And I know snaps average 6.9 yards per play uh, in, in positive EPA per play. Uh, they actually played 28% of their offensive snaps with all three of those players off the field, uh, which is crazy amount. And, and they only have 4.0 yards per play and negative EPA per play on those plays. So just having Derrick Henry back and all these pieces back in the offensive totality does mean a lot, even if he is whatever, somewhat limited. I mean, he's got a steel plate in his foot, he said, uh, which is actually probably pretty scary because he's hard. He's such a terminator already. Now we're going to make him part machine, uh, which is pretty scary. But yeah, I'm with Daigle. I kind of like the idea of Ryan Tannehill, especially on DraftKings where he's priced. Um, coming off his best game of the season to close the year. Uh, you know, we talked about some of the those kind of like weird splits. Only 10.9% of his dropbacks came with all three of those players in the field. And he averaged 9.4 yards for pass attempt. On just uh, plays where he had Julio Jones and uh, Arthur Juan available, he averaged 8.2 yards per pass attempt. So just having the full complement of weapons uh, means a lot. He, he had 30% of his dropbacks, Ryan Tannehill, without you know either of those guys in the field, which is a significant amount. You think like a third of your dropbacks. I'm going to take that as confirmation bias that uh, that I would have been right on Ryan Tannehill all along, even though I was completely wrong and it was a terrible fantasy pick uh, this season. Uh, but we've got time for redemption uh, to close things out here at the end of the year. I do like Ryan Tannehill a lot, especially on draft games. Yeah, he is the uh, the seventh most expensive quarterback, which means you know he's just cheaper than everybody with the exception of whoever starts for San Francisco. Via Garoppolo or Lance on DK specifically. Uh, and I, I guess, well, if, if you're going to pair him with a receiver, who's your preference? I mean, obviously money matters, you know, Brown's the, the favorite guy, but do you think Julio is still, I mean, I thought he was dead, but he probably the best, his best game of the year last week or well, not last week, uh, week 18, I suppose, whatever it was week 17, the last time he played, <laughs> I forget. Week 18, which feels like a long time ago. It was just two weeks ago. Feels <laughs> yeah. like forever ago. The, the issue on this slate, and as I mentioned, I'm still trusting A.J. Brown's overall workload in those six full games that they played together. Uh, they played a couple other games together, but A.J. Brown or Julio Jones left injured. So the targets then got dispersed accordingly. But this slate is more about, remember, this is, especially if we're talking the four game, which we all agreed we love, like then you have to start with a onesie position like Ryan Tannehill. And I love Ryan Tannehill, but then you also remember you're going against Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen that everyone's waiting for Sunday night. And so you're starting at the onesie position and then you're also throwing in AJ Brown, in my opinion. Uh, in that case, like that's already two spots down. So late swapping is of the utmost importance because if your quarterback fails in this slate, it's almost like you failed pretty much and you're left scrambling at other positions. So Ryan Tannehill is dangerous just given the overall landscape, but we also know he can provide the rushing upside 
as he's shown time and time again, soaking away those touchdowns, even inside the five yard line and RPOs from Derrick Henry. So I, the, he does have similar upside at a discounted salary as opposed to the others, just in case one or the other fail and Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. Cause that's really what we're talking about is like, how close can you get to those two in a matchup? Everyone's expecting to shoot out. Have the internet doctors weighed in yet as far as Derrick Henry and how effective they think he may or may not be. Is there a consensus on that? If you guys see anything or kind of stay tuned because seven, five on DK he's the most expensive running back still, but seven, five we paid, you know, eight, nine, nine, 10 for Henry at certain times this year. Uh, you know, it feels like it's kind of baked in rich. No, or do we have an official read as far as, Metal plate sounds serious. That sounds like a big deal in your foot. I mean, he's nine can Fanduel. That's so you are paying for it a little bit there on the on the site. You'd more optimally want to play him. Yeah, uh, because you figure if they are going to limit his snaps, right? Like it would be like in the passing game. Some of that little bread and butter he got early in the year, where he does it. You know, getting you know averaging a career high receptions, which is still only two point three per game. Uh, losing maybe that, but you know if it's, if he's healthy enough, like the money touches are going to be his for sure. Like they get near the end zone. Mm-hmm. He's, he's going to be getting the ball, uh, especially if he responds well in game. And, and, and this is a, a go home situation. So like if he's, if he's as health wise is, is okay. I mean, they're not probably going to limit him. Like, I don't think that they will, unless it's like a real like kind of hindrance. Like if he's going to be able to go, I'm just going to consider it that Tim be able to go. Uh, it's a terrible running back slate. So like you could, I mean, a, a big crooked number from any one of these running backs that we'll talk about uh, could swing something this weekend. I mean, it's a great receiver quarter and quarterback slate. It's a pretty iffy running back slate. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see, like, kind of what tilts the tide this week. It felt really fitting that last week the highest scoring running back was Jarek McKinnon. Like, in this Ugh. season of seasons, are all fantasy ghosts. It's been the year of fantasy ghosts. And so I have the, the postseason lead off with Jarek McKinnon as the highest scoring running back. Just felt right. It felt like something was right about that. I had 100% Derek Gore at 2%, and it went to the other backup running back. I was disgusted. Yeah, you had the you had the right thought process, and I, I had all three. I had mixed, but I had more Williams than anything else, and unfortunately, it did the, the right lineups kind of line up. But that was a universal swap to McKinnon, and all of a sudden, you're shooting to the top, and nobody owned him, far as I can tell. Far, I mean, he was like, what, 5, 5% or less or something like that? Yeah. Because yeah. We all thought it was Williams' backfield. It turns out, what did he have, a leg or a heel? And then he fumbled, too. Like, he, he didn't start. Had the fumble. Yeah, and then he fumbled and he's the football died. Like, that's it. Once you fumble and you have a leg or a toe, yeah, forget it. I knew it was over then. Um, yeah, John, feel free to jump over to the Bengals. So the Bengals had 21 touchdowns this season of 20-plus yards, most in the NFL. Uh, next closest on the t- next closest team had four fewer. And we know opponents targeted their receivers at the league's highest rate, 64% against Tennessee. The Titans also permitted 8.3 yards per attempt, nearly 13 yards for a catch and the second most fantasy points to opposing wideouts. And so when we're talking about how we're going to attack this offense, like that's what it is. It's through their wide receivers. And so everyone gets excited about Joe Burrow. Uh, I do think not only do I would actually say, I know Joe Burrow is going to be more roster than Ryan Tannehill. Uh, he's, I think he's actually going to be sneakily high. I think everyone's kind of getting on the idea that they want to attack the Titans secondary and consider them foe number one seeds, where in my opinion, I just consider them the better team overall, since we still have questions about like who the Bengals can beat outside of their one Sterling matchup at the end of the year against the Chiefs. And so overall, like I am excited about the Bengals passing attack. If we get there again, it always comes down to if we get there, but I still I still think the field is going to be higher on them than we should be. And at you least pair Burrow. With... Burrow for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at Burrow. There's a reason all of his, his top scoring games this season came against teams that do what blitz. 
and blitz him particularly because uh, some teams didn't that do blitz high. Uh, and the Tennessee is another team that just, I feel like there's just not a lot of ceiling opportunity here. Uh, I think Burrow will more or less be fine and like not very, but I see it very similar to how it was last week where he's more or less probably like a 17 to like low twenties guy. Uh, where t- I think Tannehill is really easily in that striking range. Uh, I mean, Tennessee doesn't blitz. They're 28th in the league in blitz rate. Uh, so they're not going to really kind of put the pressure on him. We know they can run the ball in the Trey Anderson practice today, but they're still going to be out with Mike Daniels and Larry Ogunjobi. And if the Titans are able to run the football, whether it be with Derrick Henry or Deontay Foreman or who else they, they have in the backfield, which they've shown that they're still capable of getting production out of those guys. Um, I don't know if Burrow has like that 30 point ceiling this week. Uh, even though people are kind of glomming onto that. I like the, the pass catching pieces more than I like Burrow himself. Uh, he's probably the quarterback I feel the least confident of the weekend outside of Jimmy Garoppolo. Interesting. Yeah, Burrow on a, on FanDuel is 7-7. Tannehill is 7-3. Sounds like you guys favorite Tannehill over Burrow. And on DK, a distinct difference in price. $800, 5-8 for Tannehill and 6-6 for Burrow. Uh, Rich, we're going to pick one of those receivers. You know, figure in ownership, presumed ownership. It's Wednesday night. We're not really sure. We're kind of sort of somewhat guessing. Uh, and, you know, if they get around the, uh, the asking price as well, obviously Chase Higgins, Boyd, and even Ozoma, Ozoma has been a, he's been a thing of late. Is he, I mean, what he caught at least one touchdown in the previous week, maybe two, I can't remember what it was, Just but one. yeah. And then Knox, Knox all that and raised them. That's how that went down. But uh, yeah. Talk about the pass catchers there for Cincinnati. Well, obviously, I mean, Chase, uh, you know, historic rookie season started off the postseason right where he left off, becoming the seventh rookie ever to have a hundred yard game in his first uh you know, career playoff game, uh, Jack Rabbit uh, Jenkins, who I believe it legally changed now to Jack Rabbit, uh, did not practice today. So keep eyes on that. Uh, you know, Tennessee's already a team that, like John said, I mean, they're, they're, they face a lot of targets to wide receivers. They don't really have a lot of great personnel on the back end outside of Bayard. Uh, so, I mean, if you can get the chase, obviously he's a guy that's shown a ton of ceiling. Higgins has been like the more volatile option. He's had those like three top five weeks this season and then giving you kind of like a bunch of uneven production. Uh, two of his worst games came to Raiders and Tyler Boyd who scored four games in a row. The ceiling isn't like massive, but Tennessee uh, was dead last in the NFL in, a, in guarding opposing slot receivers. And the last time we saw them on the field, another ghost of, of uh, fantasy pass, Danny Amendola hit them for 113 <laughs> yards and two touchdowns. So uh, I like the pass catchers a lot. He's probably the one that objectively has like the worst draw, but he has been seeing some targets, four to seven targets in each of his past six games. The Titans were really, really tough on tight ends this year, though. Uh, second in yards per target, fourth in catch rate, um, and 2.7% touchdown rate, which was second in the NFL as well. You know, they face guys like Travis Kelsey. They face guys like George Kittle on their schedule. Uh, so Uzoma's probably, like, you feel really good about cashing out your Zoma tickets last week. Uh, I don't know if it's really an objectively great spot for him here. Boyd is definitely how you get unique. Uh, we are seeing a little bit of a breakout in the end of the year, too, even more so for Jamar Chase. Uh, pelted him with seven targets in the first half last week season high 35 percent target share in that game and if you exclude 18 week 18 when he was playing minimal time with brandon allen to chase all those rookie franchise records uh he's quietly put together three consecutive starts of double digit targets and a 29 percent target share in that span so we are seeing him emerge not only as like the downfield threat but also the downfield threat with volume too the other thing to note as far as his own like typically it's like, oh, i'll just punt at tight end and it's only a four game slate so there's only you know, tight end typically kind of a weak spot, and there's only so many tight ends that can actually do something. Maybe what if they all collapse? Well, it's a four-game slate, but you got Kelsey, Gronk, Kittle, Higby, you know, does those things. Knox, obviously, is a, a touchdown threat. You see multiple touchdowns for Knox as well. So, you well, know, Saturday is gross. Saturday, you can do whatever the hell you want. 
uh, I hope you're going to just do Saturday only because it's Kittle and then just three dudes. <laughs> uh, that was could, the. Uh, okay. <laughs> so you could even, I mean, I would say if you're going to take a shot at a tight end this game, like Ferks is probably the better blind dart, but I mean, you, uh, that's still very loose. Uh, Cause just like I said, it, Kittle we've seen like, and we get to that game. I mean, he's a guy like his target share might be the same as these other three guys. It's been terrible. Yeah, do you get points for for pancakes? Uh, Kittle three three targets last time. I know he's a great blocker and all that. Seven before that, two and three. That's his last four games. Three, seven, two, three. As far as targets, we'll talk about him soon enough. Obviously, but yeah, I wasn't thinking about it in terms of the two games late, but that's a good yeah. point. Well, if you're playing Saturday only, it's this uh, Josiah DeGuire or Kittle so, <laughs> or Mercedes Lewis. Zoma reminds me of Dawson Knox of last week. Like I couldn't pull the trigger knowing he was the very first game, the second game of the week. And I had with all the tight ends, especially on Sunday and Monday, I couldn't pull the trigger like the one, a onesie position to have him Saturday night and just bust. And then of course he just blew up instead. But at least Knox, like you could look at the body work and say, Oh yeah, this is the sure. dude that led, led the position in touchdowns. Like I was a coward. Dead. Yeah. <laughs> but like Uzoma, like you still had to kind of take a step of faith with him last week based on, kind of his his lower target share and you know the Raiders matchup and you got there you hit uh I even took him with my last pick in that pool we were talking about uh drafting last week uh and I don't I'm still not expecting a lot here just based on the matchup uh, in particular um and then like I said uh you know maybe 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 kind of thinking like the field's gonna be a little ahead of themselves on Burrow mm-hmm. we got anything else this game boys we're moving on I mean is anyone gonna play Mixon? Yeah, it's funny. I didn't mean I didn't mean to ignore him, but like you can, like certainly, like he get, he can get twenty five touches in this game. Like that's and if nobody's playing him, sure, he's the only guy we really didn't talk about. He suffered that injury at the end of the game, but also he hasn't been on the practice report, so I imagine he's good to go for this one. Who's uh? What side are you guys on from a Vegas perspective? Any takes there? Tennessee minus three and a half, forty seven total. Any leans for anybody? I like the Titans. I think the Titans cover. You gotta, lay, you gotta lay the hook, man. Three and a half. That's how they get you. No, I'm yeah. laying the hook. I've already laid the hook. So I'm laying the hook. <laughs> Rich, you got anything, or it's just kind of I don't like feel great running. about this one. Uh, because I don't think even I think both these teams are kind of they're they're in the position that they're in, but I don't know if it's really kind of like one of these teams is gonna be in the AFC championship game. And I don't know. That doesn't I, feel I, right. I, you know? I guess I would prefer it to be the Bengals, but I don't feel strongly about really either of these teams uh, right now. Yeah, I, I mean, the Titans have that body of work. I mean, they've beaten all these teams in the playoffs. I mean, they beat both the Chiefs, they beat the Bills, uh, they beat the Rams on the other side. Uh, they do have they have the league's best record against winning teams this year. So, I mean, they are they are battle proven. Yeah, uh, for some reason, I, I yeah, wrote it on his office is in Nashville. Producer Devin's listening to me, and he's a big Nashville fan, Tennessee fan, and I've not given them credit all season long. I was like, they're the mm-hmm. worst one seed in our lifetime, but that, that's probably maybe a little uh, hyperbolic, but still, uh, you know. I, should they really the, the game is Buffalo and, and, and Kansas City. That should be the AFC championship. I, we can we can't jump in and change that at this point, I guess. The, the games are already set. It also seems to be common thought that the Titans like don't deserve to be here, don't deserve to be the number one seed. That's why I think they're just getting a little too much um uh steamed by the public. Yeah, that's probably the Bengals are. I'm, I'm probably wrong. Uh by the way, gameplays according to the Blitz. Uh shout out Derek Hardy, the Blitz game factors. Uh, this is the second lowest. It's pretty clear like where uh, the projected plays are. You know, we'll talk about Tempe and LA in a second. 133.2 projected plays. That's a good number. Uh, Cincinnati, Tennessee, 122.8. Not particularly appealing. Right below them is the next game, 121.8. One full play less as far as the projections when you consider pace. San Francisco versus Green Bay, 47 is a total. 
This line opened at a four and a half point line. It's moved to Green Bay favor by six, getting that bye week. And Jimmy G is uh, allegedly dealing with a hand. He's dealing with a shoulder. He was evasive when they asked him about it. I don't know. There's some sort of speculation that he may not even play this weekend. We shall see. But uh, John, I'll throw it to you. Uh, we'll start with the San Francisco side. Uh, I guess we're going to assume that Jimmy G is starting until uh, otherwise noted. It is very much the holy grail. Is that what it is? Yeah, holy grail meme of uh, it's just a flesh wound. Like Jimmy G's out here with no arms <laughs> and they don't care. There's no way in hell they're going to start Trey Lance no matter what happens. Uh, 49ers, as we know, it's just a different matchup than last time. 49ers closed minus three last time they played. It was on the road. Uh, now, I believe, last I checked, they're six-point dogs. But Elijah Mitchell didn't play. He wasn't even the starting running back, really, at that time. Uh, Debo Samuel wasn't playing running back. Josh Norman and rookie cornerback Diamador Lenore were the team's starting cornerbacks. And Juwan Jennings didn't play a single offensive snap in that game. Whereas we've seen now, the past couple of weeks especially, and this was first pointed out by Sharp Football's Dan Pazuda, who noted that the 49ers are running more 11 personnel to get Juwan Jennings on the field more because they've been more efficient uh, at adding Debo Samuel to the backfield, keeping Elijah Mitchell on the field at all time, essentially keeping a, a running back without a lead blocker out there. And now we know that they're last week, for instance, they ran 11 personnel, three wide receivers, one running back, uh, 40, 49% of their snaps against the Cowboys. Uh, Packers actually this year faced the most, the highest rate of 11 personnel and allowed five yards per carry against 11 personnel. And since we know what the 49ers want to do, we know the Packers, that's where they struggle against the run. Uh, we know the 49ers not only want to do that, but they also want to run the ball. That I think that's kind of what we were expecting here. It would be easier to predict this game or to lay the lay the land if we knew exactly like Garoppolo, like if he was at least at full strength, because that's what I'm worried about, like them turning into a more quick passing attack. But overall, I, I think we should expect points on both sides of the ball here. Rich, jump in here as far as San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, the 49ers, uh, with what they've been able to do with Debo Samuel at the end of the season, you know, going to 11 personnel, is because you still have to match that personnel as if they're going to come out without Debo Samuel in the backfield. Uh, and that's what's made that that personnel set so effective, you know, for the 49ers. Um, you know, it, and it's, it's really kind of lays out. It's explosive run game versus a team that allows, that's 28th in the NFL, and explosive runs allowed uh, in the league. And they only face two teams in the top five. Uh, in DVA in the run so far this season. So they're getting another one here uh, with the 49ers. It just it all depends on this is another one of these situations that we talked about with the Eagles last week and with the Patriots. If the 49ers don't weather the storm early in this game and they fall behind, it's a wrap. It's a wrap uh, because you're, they're going to have to stay in balanced offense, especially if Garoppolo is going to play banged up. He was awful in the second half of that game, whether it be by injury or just the amount of pressure the Cowboys are putting on him five of 11 and after halftime for 39 yards in the second half. And they, he almost gave them that game back. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for like kind of all the penalties and the Dallas utility on offense and having wasting some opportunities. I mean, four ers were lucky to get out of there based on the way Garoppolo played in the second half. They cannot put the game into his hands this weekend, especially with the Packers now getting all of these guys back. Darius Smith is going to play. Jair Alexander is going to play. Um, uh, Merciless Whitney is going to play. Like all these guys are going to be back for the Packers. And Aaron Rodgers is a guy like you better have your, your best defense too against him the way he's played the back half of the year. And you're coming in with Nick Bosa who practiced today with concussion. Fred Warner's got a, the state. He said it's the same ankle injury he had that cost forced him to miss a game early in the season. Like they are going to have to get up and kind of stay in neutral game script here. So they fall behind double digits. Like we saw last week with those two teams that we were saying, Hey, they've got to keep this kind of game script. That's what the 49ers have to do here. And if they don't, it's going to get south in a hurry. 
you have the uh, the Kittle routes last week or of late? Like, what percentage of passes is he blocking on? What it? No, it's not. I mean, that's a complete myth. The Kittle blocking thing is a is myth. it? Yeah, on the the past four games, he's run a route on 109 of 125 team dropbacks. Okay, he's out there running routes. He's he's just been so over the stretch. Uh, you know, he's been targeted a single digit percentage of time per route in three of his past four games. Uh, after he was targeted on 27% of his routes prior. Uh, I don't know if it's a defensive thing, if teams are playing him differently or if just the play calling is differently, but this narrative that he's a, such a great blocker, it's hurting him is pretty much a myth. Hey, call me out on it next time. I just, I just, no, this isn't you, Dean. This no, is a consensus. I, I was just, I was this, just doing it though. When I'm wrong, I would tell me I'm wrong. Wait, You're just asking consen- about it. Yeah, it's a, yeah, no, no, no. It's a consensus take that like he's like, he's pass blocking, but he's not. He's, he's out here running routes, man. He's getting that exercise that we talk about. Um, but we've seen this happen with Kittle over the course of his career, too. Like he's also capable of just being the guy in the slate that goes for like eight and 130, too. Yeah, uh, and like, and you're you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. I say the price is good though to still bite. Uh, and on Saturday, he's by default he's going to have a bunch of ownership on Saturday. Six four on Fanduel, five three on DK. Like you said, there's basically no competition on DK as well. Um, it feels like you said like nobody's got like the floor to ceiling that Kittle has. <laughs> you know, the, right. the floor <laughs> is really really rough, but the ceiling, like he can go one fifty and two, like that's possible as well. I believe we've seen something very similar that this to the season. And then there's Debo, who's just, I mean, we've never seen anything like this guy, like somebody being used the way he's being used. Cordell Patterson, I suppose, to some kind of extent, maybe Percy Harvin in years past, not to this degree, not to this degree of success, certainly. Uh, John, what are we doing with Debo? Perfect question. Uh, again, this slate comes back to running back. So what you do at running back, where you pay down, if you pay down, is really going to dictate like whether you can get up to Debo since we're trying to pay up for a lot of receivers in the mm-hmm. Chiefs-Bills game in particular. And there are some cheap outs we'll talk about when we get there. But yeah, that's kind of what it comes down to. Also, I don't think many are going to play Debo with George Kittle. And so that's a one unique way to get there, even though it is expensive. But overall, we've seen Debo now as a running back. His average touchdown run has actually been from 16 and a half yards out, and he's averaged 15 yards before contact on those runs. Just absurd efficiency and absurd play call. Calling. Uh, still a little bit of touchdown juice, but the fact he's still leading the team in routes run in that span tells you that he can have a blow up game. So I think that's the route everyone's going to go in the four teamer. They'll probably play Debo over Kittle because it's significantly safer. But I still think just given how poor the Packers have been against tight ends, or at least efficiency wise, because they're still only facing league average and target seven per game to opposing tight ends. Uh, I do think Kittle is probably the better contrarian play on the four-game slate. Rich, your thoughts? Yeah, I like that. I like that angle. I mean, Debo, he's just going to stick it to me all year. I mean, he's just so hard <laughs> for me to play always at his price, and he always gets there. Like, they'll say it's so hard for me. Like, uh, I'm so pragmatic in this stuff. And, like, a player like Debo just breaks my brain, you know? Like, you know, the dude ha- is fifth in the NFL in receiving yards, but he's 43rd in routes run. He's got 15 touchdowns, and only three of them are inside of 10 yards. Uh, you know, he, he's had more than six targets in just one of his past 10 games. Uh, it's it's just always such a mental hurdle at his price to, for me to click the button, especially when I'm like, oh, Cooper Cup's there, or Devontae Adams is there. Like, he's safe kind of reliable guys like these Gibraltars and uh he just keeps getting there every week man it's every you can't just assume a guy's gonna have a 50-yard touchdown every single week but like that, that's what he's doing basically it just every week I mean, he's such a beast man he's he's uh have you seen that with a game on the line too like they're calling run plays for him yeah we, we, i would too we talked about it last <laughs> we talked about it last week given how poor the cowboys had been in rushing defense against 
poor rushing attacks. And, you know, if, if the, the stats we mentioned earlier come to fruition, the 49ers, of course, have to win or at least be in a competitive game throughout because if they get behind, this doesn't work. But even pairing Elijah Mitchell and Debo Samuel, if you can get there, and also getting off Kittle is a contrarian way to get exposure towards Debo as well because, like, those are the two guys, especially with Jimmy Garoppolo injured. Like, if it is a, a favorable game for the 49ers, you could play those together and hopefully get rushing touchdowns from both as you did last week. Mitchell, 7-3 on Fandle, a more appealing price on DK at 5-8, but of course, the way he plays, uh, Mm -hmm. he's a better played player on Fandle. You need a 100-yard bonus on DraftKings. Well, the slates are so small now, you probably just need a rushing touchdown. You don't even need the 100-yard bonus anymore, but you also know he's not going to catch passes. That's the hard thing about DraftKings. And I'll be honest, I've not, like, run optimals yet because Wednesday night, and we're, we're, we're so far from, like, complete information. So I don't know how tight or loose the cap happens to be. I did check out some prices, and I was like, like we'll talk like Tyreek Hill is really cheap on DK. Uh, even Steph Diggs is getting a price discount as well too, which seems like the premier, you know, game on, you know, amongst the four game slate. We'll talk about that obviously in a second. Uh, jump over to the Packers, Rich. Um, you know, Rogers is there, well-rested team. Aaron Rodgers refuses to snap the ball until the clock's at one, maybe zero. Uh, just kills the clock all day. Like I just, it's the, it kind of subdues like the, the potential upside in theory. Of course they can potentially shoot out with some big plays. But that's that's always my uh, fear, I guess. I don't fear is the right word, but being pragmatic, right? I want the team that's having more plays because there's more chance of like fantasy points being collected. So I generally don't gravitate toward the Packers. And of course, the split in the backfield is kind of annoying. And obviously there's Adams right there. And then we added uh, Randall Cobb. We're expecting him back. That's kind of muck up, I suppose, to some degree, Lazard and MBS. And well, I wouldn't go beyond that. But uh, yeah, talking about Green Bay. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like a little bit of the trade-off we used to always see with like Russ and Seattle. They're low volume because, you know, Rodgers is so efficient, but they're also just really slow, like you said, which is always a problem. And both teams, both these teams can be pretty slow and this game could get bogged down. That's definitely in the range of outcomes. I mean, the Packers are, are just frustrating too because we know we're, we're going to jam Devontae Adams in uh, because he's getting, you know, targeted at the third highest rate per route in the NFL and he closed the season on a monster tear, eight touchdowns over his final seven games. Uh, and But the rest is all kind of a, a grab bag. I do think there was a little bit of a signal that Aaron Jones was starting to like get back as like the lead back. But then, you know, we kind of still just have this like kind of looming, you know, uh, entity in, you know, Algiers Dillon uh, that just he could always steal some, some goal line carries. But there was a two games, uh, you know, span there before they blew out the Vikings on that Sunday night game. Uh, where Aaron Jones was operating as the lead back. A.J. Dillon's touches uh, were below 50% of the backfield touches. And Aaron Jones started that game on Sunday night against the Vikings. And then they just start blowing out Sean Mannion. And it's just all A.J. Dillon the rest of the way. And then A.J. Dillon in week 18. So it's very loose. It's a very flimsy proposition to say, oh, yeah, week 16 and 17 showed us they're going to go back to Aaron Jones. Uh, But I also think it's a matchup that also just suits Aaron Jones better because he can catch the football out of the backfield uh, a little bit better. That Not that A.J. Dillon has been bad catching the football at all this season. He averaged 9.2 yards per catch and was effective when called upon. But, you know, you see Aaron Jones get, like, those plays called for him in the red zone in the passing game. And, you know, we haven't really seen that with A.J. Dillon. Uh, And the 49ers are just so good against the run that it would seem to set up more of opportunity to kind of, like, use Aaron Jones his versatility and kind of getting him in space a little bit more. But, like I said, that's very loose very not for uh very not very fragile uh, analysis there yeah well you say it's loose but also <laughs> like this is a loose slate like whoever gets the bucks packers and chiefs backfields right 
is going to win this slate. And so taking a chance on Aaron Jones probably wouldn't be like acceptable in your normal Sunday main slate, but on a four game slate, like take your chances. That's totally fine. Um, It also makes sense. And this is why like Aaron Rodgers is a tremendous play, but also you need the 49ers to do their job. Uh, You need to like the pressure is not to matter. You need everything to come together for the offense. Otherwise I do worry. We just get like last week with Brady, just a dink and dunk like floor game from Rodgers where they just move the ball efficiently. And then it becomes AJ Dillon game script. And we really don't know what it was supposed to be between that backfield because, uh, Ever since Rodgers injured his toe in week 11, we've not only seen him awesome in the box score, but he's been amazing under pressure as well with six touchdowns and zero picks in that time. And that's how the 49ers have essentially won. Like last week against the Cowboys, they generated a season high, 22 pressures, 45% of Dak's dropbacks. Over the past two weeks, they've hit Stafford and Prescott a combined 27 times, which makes these Nick Bosa and Fred Warner injuries like so so important to monitor uh, as the week moves along here but the 49ers also understand they can't play man coverage with their cornerbacks room especially against guys speedsters like Marcus Valdez-Scanling and Alan Lazard Devontae Adams which is why I think they've leaned on majority cover schemes and cover three throughout the year and we know a quarter of Rodgers dropbacks this year came against cover three and he finished with a 76 percent completion rate for over eight yards per attempt two touchdowns and no picks uh Adams leads the team 88 of his 166 targets this year have come against zone coverage, and Aaron Jones is next on the team with 36. Like, those are the guys Rodgers would dink and dunk to, which, again, that means he has a high floor, but we need the 49ers to push them. And that's that's where that's where I have questions. And I think it can happen, especially because I think it can happen through the running game, but that's also like a weird game script that could go wrong on the second game of the slate very easily. The, uh, the running back split you guys are talking about, it's kind of baked into the prices. Pretty big discrepancy. We've seen it like kind of basically the same price on DK at some points throughout this year on Fandle. Uh, Jones at 7.5, Dylan at 6.1. So, you know, some room in the middle, obviously. And on DK, Jones is 6.8 and Dylan is 5.1. Rich, uh, absolute dart, assuming Cobb's good to go. Again, uh, this is where we're at on a Wednesday night, but it looks positive. Uh, you know, and that's Rogers' guy. He trusts, you know, he wanted him on the team, obviously. He's 3-1. He's 3-1 on DK. Is uh, Cobb, you think, a usable punt? Yeah, he could He could be in play. Uh, MVS didn't practice today because of a back injury, but, you know, keep eyes on that. Uh, especially, you don't like when guys have DNPs when they're off a bye, you know, and didn't play. That's always kind of concerning. Um, uh, Alan Lazard, uh, he's been more touchdown or bust, though, but if you look at it, uh, he leads the team with nine end zone targets. Uh, over his uh, p- past 10 games played. He has three more end zone targets than Devontae Adams over that span. So he has been kind of like the end zone foxhole guy, and he's been coming through, but, you know, has a high of 75 yards over that span as well. So you're not going to really get a lot of juice with it if you do get the touchdown. Yeah, MBS, you're kind of shooting for that one big play, which certainly can happen. There's no reason to think why it can't. 5.5K uh, on Fandle. Uh, on DK, MBS is 4-3. Again, monitor his status. And you're right, it's a good point because, you know, they are well-rested. So like, typically they'll rest guys on a Wednesday, but maybe, you know, you've been off for the last week. I presume they were off for a good bit, but uh, maybe it's nothing. Who knows? Well, we'll, he, we'll he, was, he was limited on Tuesday and downgraded today, which makes oh. it even which makes it even more concerning. Uh, but but like we saw with Tyreek and Clyde Edwards-Lair, even though that was on a Thursday, uh, we, we could, like, maybe that's maintenance program. So we'll see. But, yes, right now I would lean towards being concerned about it. All right. We got anything else in this game here, Rich? That's it. John? I think that's it for me. I think Green Bay blows them out. Who's with me? 
Green Bay's gonna. That's what I'm hearing. You guys are. You're not saying it, but you're kind of saying it. Green Bay fully healthy. That bye is so so crucial. You know, San Fran kind of beat up a little bit. You know, they beat Dallas. That that's a good season. <laughs> that's good. Their quarterback Garoppolo's got the. You know, he's hopping on one leg right now. Yeah. I, like, I I took I took 49ers uh, plus six when it opened. Uh, it moved to five. It got bet back up to six. But again, I'm the person who took the Eagles and the Patriots, so take it with a great assault. <laughs> it, it definitely feels like one of these spots where, like, the Niners are going to be, like, the go-to kind of dog again, especially given their history against the Packers and the playoffs. And like, you know, everyone will have the Mostert game for a couple of years in their mind. And listen, they, they had that game in, earlier in the season. They pressed them. They were down 17 nothing, and they took the lead with a 37 seconds to go, and Rodgers needed a, a couple like real real big plays. Devontae Adams set that game winning field goal. So the Niners are definitely a team that's played this Packers team tough. Uh, and so maybe people dial in on that. But it does feel like a, 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 an inevitable Rodgers season to me right now. Like I feel like the Packers are getting there this year. Yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at as well, too. Uh, all right. Let's move you on. All, well, very quickly, uh, you also have to ask like, Devontae Adams had a 54% target share in that game. Like no other receiver had more than three targets. So you have to wonder if like those are dispersed to the options we talked about as well. All right. Going to move on and talk about the Rams and the Bucks in just a second. Before we do that, we do want to thank our sponsor, Jock Market. Jock Market, stop throwing your money away. It's time to check out Jock Market, the app where daily fantasy becomes a stock exchange to buy and to sell shares of players in real time. For real money, download now for a 100% deposit match up to $50. How do you do that? You use the promo code GRINDERS, G-R-I-N-D-E-R-S. Get this. If you do not turn a profit this week, Jock Market, they're going to cover your losses in your very first event. Download Jock Market in the app or play stores or check out jockmarket.com. That's J-O-C-K-M-K-T.com. Again, use the promo code GRINDERS, 100% deposit match up to 50 bucks on your first deposit. Rams are playing the Bucks first game on Sunday, 48 and a half is the total. The Bucks are currently a two and a half to three point favorite, depending on where you're looking. And yeah, Uncle Lenny, he tweeted out that, uh, like, what, what was his tweet? I'll see y'all on Sunday or something like that. You're not going to say that. He's not talking about from the sidelines, I wouldn't think. I'm assuming he's going to give it a go. Um, also worth noting, they're down a couple linemen currently. We want to monitor that as well, which seems, you know, at least somewhat important. Uh, Rich, I'll throw it to you as far as the Tampa Bay side and I, I would assume Lenny would jump into the starting spot and kind of like throw Vaughn away and Bernard's probably the third down guy, but that's me just guessing. What do you think? Well, Bruce Arians said last week, if he was going to be available on Sunday, that he would be back to be able to handle a full workload. So I would assume that's going to be the case whenever he's ready. And maybe that's why they didn't play him last week. Uh, you know, Geo coming back does throw kind of a, a wrench in things because when Lenny took over during the course of the season, it was after Bernard was hurt in this game, actually. Uh, when these teams played earlier in week three, uh, remember Gio operated as the third down back. He caught nine passes, uh, shredded his knee on a meaningless touchdown in garbage, garbage time <laughs> as the Bucks were kind of come back. And then Lenny kind of just took over and it never looked back. Uh, it kind of took the job, but they do also know kind of where their bread is buttered with Lenny. So I could see them kind of going back and just letting him have the full workload. A uh, little bit of thorn here. Rams have been excellent though, against the Ron basically this entire season. When these teams played earlier in the season, Brady was the leading rusher. Uh, for the Buccaneers. Uh, we saw that uh, again play out on Monday night with the Cardinals backs uh, that were getting kind of, you know, talked about. They, they couldn't do anything against the, on the, on the, on the ground, the 49ers, Elijah Mitchell. We talked about that, that game in, in week 18, they didn't run well on them either fourth in the NFL in yards uh, per carry allowed to running backs. Uh, you know, this is kind of sets up to be kind of like a passing game for both sides. 
Uh, the Bucks have some injuries that are a little bit concerning. Uh, you talked about Tristan Wirfs being injured. That's a kind of a big loss. We saw his replacement come up and give up a sack to Ryan Kerrigan, who was not an effective pass rusher this entire season. Uh, Ryan Jensen's dealing with an ankle injury, but he came back and played basically the rest of that game. Uh, we'll have to keep monitoring those situations throughout. But Bucks are coming in a, a little bit banged up here. Um, and I feel like they're – I don't ever want to just go bet against Brady, but this feels like a spot where I feel like the Rams are undervalued again. Don? Yeah, I worry that for DFS purposes, like last week, it's going to be a game, especially if he's under pressure, Brady the entire time, where it is more dink and dunk and we don't get the ceiling. Because what we've seen is that they have to turn, like Gio Bernard, who did look good, like Keyshawn Vaughn, they've had to turn their running back into third receiver without Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown because Tyler Johnson ain't getting it done, can't earn targets, 8% target share despite continuing to run all these routes. We now know enough to know like he's not a factor. And Brashad Perryman just continues having drops every single week, so much so that I wonder if they just lose faith completely this upcoming game and then play Fournette and Bernard together uh, and just treat them – together as like the third receiver and so that's kind of where I lean actually not Brady so much but also getting in on four nets getting ahead of the pack even though I imagine a lot of people are going to play him and then maybe in the two game slate even sneaking in Bernard and Fournette lineups together we don't know about Grayson I guess there's still a chance he can come back this week of course yeah. there's Johnson and Perryman and Scotty Miller and I guess Darden's <laughs> lurking too but you know, risk someone, the main guy. Oh, go ahead. Someone who played Scotty Miller in the three-game slate, I can tell you, do not play Scotty Miller. <laughs> Did he run a touchdown in it? Was it that was the previous that was week? Two no, weeks he, ago. Yeah, two weeks ago. He ran the uh, 18-yard first down and then slid in bounds because that's what Scotty Miller does. Yeah, there you go. Jim uh, Rapp. <laughs> he's the first guy uh, on the field, though. The last guy to leave as well. Uh, yeah, so Mike Evans, uh, you know, he's, he's going to cost you a bit, but obviously the prize receiver, if not him, it's going to be Gronk. I suppose that's a pretty clear an obvious spot here, Rich. Do you have a priority amongst those two as far as uh, exploiting this Rams defense? Who's more likely to have a, uh, a peak game? Is it Mike Evans or is it Gronk? Yeah, I think you got to stick with Mike Evans. I mean, Daigle was on it last week. It just, you know, they have to throw to him. They just have to. That's just where they are right now. And they did a really good job last week of moving him around and scheming him up. Uh, you know, he, he played 22 snaps at left wide receiver, 10 in the slot. That's where he caught the touchdown against the cover zero. Uh, blitz he ran seven routes at right wide receiver they just they know they have to get him the football you saw him even catch some quick hitters and some screens like he's they're down to just him and Gronk like like they just you you keep they just look at these guys Tyler Johnson's not doing anything he played 77 percent of snaps last week Rashad Perriman is banged up Scotty Miller like they're just down this is where they are at at this stage of season so they have to uh you know involve Mike Evans in in this offense to the fullest and utmost capability that they can now, if I, if I was the Rams, I would do opposite of what Jonathan Gannon did last week, and I would just use Jalen Ramsey to, to know that. But I, the, the, the Rams have only done that once this season, and it was against DK Metcalf in that Tuesday night game. Um, so I, we really can't count on that. That would be just guesswork. Uh, I just think Mike Evans is probably right now their, their best asset in terms of generating big plays uh, in a game they're going to need to generate big plays. You got a similar take there, John, or uh, you going to go the other way? Yeah. Again, like Rich said, it would really come down to the Rams moving Jalen Ramsey around, which they haven't done. They primarily just left him in the slot, got intricate with him somewhat. But even when they played Devontae Adams, they they really didn't throw Ramsey at Adams. So I don't know if they'll do that against Evans, who 
they used even like as their first down running back, like they would just put him out there and be rather than running the ball and short down a distance, they would just like send him on a curl route or slant and just feed him for four yards. And like, they usually don't do that because that's all they have now. Like they have Gronk, they have Evan, that's it. So if Fournette comes back, I think it's interesting. Uh, I would play Fournette with Evans. I think you could play multiple of these guys together without Brady and take their floors. Uh, like with Gronk and Evans last week without Brady, if you did that. And that's kind of where I'm leaning right now. John, talk about the uh, the Rams' backfields. Uh, Akers look really good as just guy on the couch watching the game. He played basically half the snaps there. Uh, Akers versus Michelle. Now the price, uh, they're the same essentially on DK. We're looking at five five for Akers. Michelle is actually cheaper at five three. Uh, specific to Fanduel, uh, same same sort of deal. Five seven for Akers. Five three for Sunny Michelle. Give a preference amongst those two. Well, we're seeing Akers' role grow each and every week. Uh, Sonny Michelle's basically getting Daryl Henderson again, or I guess he would be the one getting Henderson or Wally Pipped because Michelle handled 91% of the team's backfield touches and the five games leading up to Cam Akers' return. Because remember, that's when Daryl Henderson was injured. He came back for two of those, but was still demused. And then the next week, didn't get the touch until the third quarter and then injured on that one touch. So they just gave every single touch to Sony Michelle from that point forward. But then in the two games with Akers available since he's come back, we've seen his role go grow thus shrinking Michelle's. That's what we expected. It's what we talked about last week. Michelle, for instance, in week 18, down from 91% stretch that I talked about a backfield touches to 73%. And then in the wildcard game, below 40% at 39%. So overall, like we again expect Akers rolled to grow. They even used Akers as they did not Michelle splitting him out wide. We saw how good he looked from the backfield. And so that's what makes the Rams offense and this matchup so interesting because now they have suddenly have an explosive rushing attack to go along with anything that could counter in the passing attack as well. So yeah, Akers is a great play, but also, as you've already noticed, on DraftKings, he's really, really cheap. Like they got the price wrong. And so uh, everyone's going to play him as well. Rich? Yeah, I'm still a little worried about just how successfully they're going to be able to run the football here, although they've been successful, you know, recently down the end of the season. I mean, the Bucs got healthy on defense, and they absolutely shut down the run again and bullied the Eagles out of the run. Uh, the team that was the best running team in the NFL the back half of the season. So still a little bit worried uh, that the, that it's just not a matchup that's conducive for a lot of upside. The price is right, and, you know, you might get a little bit of the pass-catching equity from Akers that you wouldn't get over Sonny Michelle. I mean, his targets were down the field targets last week, two targets. One was from Odell, uh, but he had the one where Stafford, they kind of misfired. He dropped it. It wasn't a perfect throw, but – Akers did drop it, but you, you like those running back air yards, right? Getting those wheel routes uh, and those upside targets, not just the tertiary dump offs. Um, I like a passing game a lot for the Rams here. Uh, we saw in the first game too, you know, effectively, it just comes down to if Stafford protects the football. I mean, in games where he doesn't throw an interception, he averages 24 fantasy points per game. Uh, you know, and then last week people will talk about, you know, he was getting kind of nursed along. I mean, the game script didn't really call for them to throw, but I mean, he completed uh, 77% of his passes, fourth highest rate all season. He also averaged 11.9 yards for pass attempt. That was his, uh, his highest rate in a game since week one. I mean, he would have absolutely decimated the Cardinals if that game was close. Uh, and he still got there for over 20 fantasy points. Uh, so I do think that with just the Bucks being an inherent pass funnel, we know that that's true every week. Uh, that the Rams are going to have a game plan and they, and they torched them the first game. I understand it was a Deshaun Jackson game uh, that he came out off the kind of the, those where he didn't play like up until that point. And they're just like, Oh, we have Deshaun Jackson. He went out and, and just like, uh, you know, caught two deep balls and the bucks were down defensive backs at that time. They didn't have uh, Jamil Dean got hurt in that game. He only played 12 snaps. Sean Murphy bunting didn't play. 
but uh, definitely sets up to be a passing game for the Rams, which is means Cooper Cup and uh, Odell Thielen, uh, you know, doing his thing. And our Tyler Higby just keeps getting targets, man. It just happens every week. I mean, it, it was a moderate game last week. He so only had 18 targets, but he had another 22% of the team targets. He has 20% of the team targets in his past three games, 21%. Uh, team total over the past five appearances and the Bucks were a team that did give up production of tight ends all season long uh, you know 25th in catches per game 21st in catch rate Dallas Goddard had 12 targets last week it'd be another Higby Higby week again he also had uh, two drops so his ceiling is even higher than what the box score shows uh, two quick things one if you're telling me we can fade Cam Akers because you think the matchup is still too good for the Bucks. that's okay. I would love to fade Cam Akers because we know Sonny Michelle got both carries inside the 10 and on the goal line. So like if we're fading who we perceive to be the highest rostered running back and Sonny Michelle is going to get goal line carries, assuming Akers' role does not expand to that this upcoming game, that's great. I would love to fade the highest rostered running back in a four-game slate. So I would love to do that. Also, uh, a little bit of add-on to Stafford. I kind of like Stafford as well because it's not – clearly the whole piece of the puzzle everything's just a small piece of the puzzle but there is a bit of a tail unfolding because teams actually stopped blitzing him over the last four games of the season when he was struggling with multiple turnovers like rich talked about but on monday the cardinals for whatever reason blitzed him on a season high 50 percent of his dropbacks and he went seven of nine for 150 yards and two touchdowns against the blitz in this previous matchup against the bucks they blitzed him on 31 percent of his dropbacks and he went nine for 11 for 91 yards and one score so todd bowles can adjust and i expect he probably will but the difference is the rams can actually counter with a running attack too whether it's efficient or not so overall i think all roads kind of lead to a, a very good game for stafford rich uh you're starting a gpp lineup with stafford and cup or brady and evans oh, Gotta pick one of those two. stafford for sure oh really just snap call yeah all right yeah i mean i feel like this isn't like a super ceiling game for brady uh i just feel like it's it's kind of where we are with him right now in this roster like They've got to be really perfect, and I don't know if they, they really can be. I feel like this is as vulnerable as they are, and I, I'll, I'll definitely eat my words probably, you know, go, like I said, going against Brady. But uh, it feels like this – they're in a, like a really – there's just so many injuries, man. Eventually it has to catch up and, like, really impact them. Uh, and you, I felt like the Rams were really one of the more undervalued NFC teams coming into the postseason. I would go Stafford, Cup, and Higby because, remember, we are, we're all trying to trump the – Allen Mahomes lineups that everyone's going to come in on. And so like even in a two game, even especially I should say in a four game slate, uh, we need to make sure like if we're winning, we're winning, we're going over the top. Thus we need the touchdowns to Higby. We need the touchdowns to Cooper cup. And so like, I'm, I'm going with those two, even if you want to go cup and Beckham, we need all the touchdowns we can get to fight off Allen Mahomes lineup. So I'm double stacking those quarterbacks. Um, even, I don't think you need to get, I don't think you need to double stack Ryan Tannehill because it's going to be so low rostered. Uh, every piece basically except Derrick Henry that you don't need to do that even a single stack but with Stafford and Cup like Cup's going to bring the ownership so I'm definitely adding someone else to that mix. John you got the Rams minus uh, plus three versus Tampa? I'm not confident I don't have a pick I don't like I don't like this game I can't pick against Brady uh, I would like to but uh, I can't pull the trigger so I actually don't have a bet on this one. You have a take Rich? Yeah, I like uh, this to be the the kind of the upset of the weekend. I don't feel like Bills doesn't count because the whole public's on the Bills now. Well, they're also the favorite, aren't they? On the Bills, no. Oh no, no they don't think a one and a half point dog. Never mind, I was flipping that in my head, but yeah. But everyone's I, on. But there's a reason it toss. already got bet down too. Like everyone's on. Like the Bills are very much the 49ers of last week. Um, but the Bills are my Super Bowl pick. Remember for in Week 12, so there it is. I'll ride with them, but. 
uh, I feel I hate being with everybody, but I feel like the Rams are the, the biggest upset pick of the week. Who was your week one Super Bowl pick? Did you have one? Uh, no, I don't think I did. Okay. Like some people like to say that at the beginning of the year before, before the season starts, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I had, uh, really- I had 49ers chiefs. And then when I adjusted for my like playoff only rankings, I finished with the Packers chiefs, even though I still have 49ers futures out there. I, I don't think they get there, but I still got some 49ers futures out there. By the way, if you haven't had takes, you guys listen out there and uh, you want to legal, uh, legally wager American dollars, you go, and you're in New York, you're in luck because uh, they're doing their absolute best to acquire some customers offering some incredible deposit bonuses. Uh, BetMGM for one, uh, a $1,000 deposit bonus. Use the promo code GRINDERS. You can click through our links. Go to rotorrunners.com, go to sports betting, go to New York. Uh, that's just BetMGM. Like Bandle's got a $1,000 risk-free bet. Caesars Sportsbook, $300 free, a $3,000 match. DraftKings, a $1,000 deposit bonus. For the very, very brief period of time in Florida where we had sports betting, the hard rock and the hard rock only, uh, no competition. So it was a $100 deposit bonus. Good luck. Uh, yeah, the competition is awesome in New York. They want to acquire you. And if you guys have not yet signed up for New York, uh, great, great bonuses out there. I would assume they are not going to last forever. Uh, so pounce on that. Again, check the uh, motor runners. Go ahead. If, if you want to know like where everything's headed, by the way, just know New York did 150 million in bets at legal sportsbook in its first weekend. Uh, uh-huh. it, took, it took Connecticut two months to reach 130 million. Like the, the tides are turning. Wait till, wait till California gets it. Just wait. Yeah. It's gotta be coming soon. And I would imagine it's going to be, it's, it's so wild. Like how far we've come in so few years. Like we hear Al Michaels and like come at the stadium, mm-hmm. you see like bet sports and all that kind of stuff. And a few years back, I was in a, uh, a soccer game over there in, in London and like you could bet the game at the stadium. I thought it was like the coolest thing in the world. It was like a window. You walk up and you bet the game there. You know, it's all on the up and up and that kind of thing. And I think we're kind of sort of headed that way. And I feel like I just saw the very first team of like an on-site betting spot. Is it Arizona? I could be wrong, but yeah, like people are doing the, it. The Raiders, the Raiders have the Raiders have the booth in the walkway whenever you're walking to the game. Yeah, that make, that makes sense. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, <laughs> in Las in Las Vegas. But uh, I spent uh, when I lived in Australia. I spent probably too much time in one of those like slot machine betting rooms. Uh, like when the <laughs> when the Warriors were in their prime without Durant uh, betting on teams to watch those games because like bars they were like at seven in the morning and some bars just wouldn't play it American sports and so you'd have to go to that like old smoke induced rooms like that to watch the games. Were you betting like Australian rules football and rugby and things like that? Is that was what, what we did in Australia? I'm not, I'm learning so much. I feel like I was, having a, I was having a quarter life crisis. This is a story for another day, but I lived there for, <laughs> I lived there for two years. Uh, I was not betting Australian rules football, although I would tell everyone that is still the best sport in existence and everyone should watch it if they've never seen it. It is literally American football meets rugby. It's a huge field, isn't it? Like I, I, I watch Probably. it. It's like 14 on four. How, how many dudes are playing that game? It's a lot. It's it's uh i don't know exactly per team i didn't really pick that up since there was always beers involved but uh <laughs> forward passing with rugby is literally what it is yeah rich do you have any australian rules football stakes i don't uh yeah i, I, wish I don't I really have, yeah it's it's fun to watch i've seen like the clips and then like the, no pads and they're, they're pretty ruthless it's, it's a fun spot for uh, sport we uh we root for the richmond tigers in this house so be careful <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a team to retort. Uh, the All Blacks is that a thing? The Kiwis is that isn't that like a, is that not Australia? The, uh, the Kiwis that's, are New, that's New Zealand. That's right? New Zealand. That would be uh, cricket if you. But I oh. I do not. I tried partaking in cricket, but seven hours into a match, you pretty much give on up that sport. 
Very he thought baseball was long. Yeah. All right. Uh, the best game, we saved it for, for the end. Uh, Bills, Chiefs kind of teased it a couple of times throughout the conversation. 54 and a half is a total. Kansas City is a two-point favorite here. Man, uh, Rich, I don't know where we start. I guess the, the key place is to start where we don't know what's going to happen, I suppose. the Talk to me about the running back situation in Kansas City. I mean, they're pretty fungible. Uh, we kind of see proof in that. Uh, you know, with Jarek McKinnon, like I said, it just felt right him doing that last week. Daryl Williams didn't practice today. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire did, you know, kind of stick a pin in that. Obviously, if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire comes back and it's him and Jarek McKinnon, it's probably a situation where Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is in a similar spot with Daryl Williams, except for he probably has more goal line equity than he did splitting with Daryl Williams. If all three play, it's probably more of just a hodgepodge. I mean, Buffalo, we've seen them give up rushing production of the season, but it's to more like power run games. Uh, not really what the Chiefs do. They do have a good offensive line, and they, it props to them for rebuilding it in a year after it got, you know, kind of just fell apart towards the end of last season. But when these teams played early in the year, 20 touches for Chiefs backs, 86 yards, really nothing exciting. I mean, it's – I'll wait and see, like, kind of what we have towards the end of the week, but I'm not – it's not a situation where I'm really leaning towards having any excitement looking at any Chiefs running back. John? Uh, I would still lean – I want to see what everyone does. Uh, I would still lean McKinnon right now. I don't think that's recency bias, but I want to see what everyone does. I want to follow more news tea leaves. It's still early in the week, considering we're waiting for this one on Sunday afternoon. So, yeah, that's where I can line ring right now. What, what's interesting about the Chiefs offense, though, one, I wonder where Patrick Mahomes stacks coming according to Josh Allen stacks. I imagine hmm. probably Josh Allen will get more ownership, especially since everyone knows the rushing upside and more importantly, what they did just last week, because you could paint a picture that, oh, like the Chiefs only did that because of the Steelers offense. Um, but even then, like the Chiefs, remember, like they came out lifeless, 64 yards. The first 17 minutes of that game were trailing 7-0, which we all forget at one point, just miserable. And then uh, Mahomes, of course, rattled off five touchdowns in literally 10 and a half minutes. And their approach, although they were explosive, their approach didn't change at all from what we've seen since week nine. Mahomes led the league in passing yards after the catch from week nine on, and that's when the Chiefs became more conservative. But throwing this pass or in that stretch uh, from week nine on, throwing 20-plus yards downfield on only 10.5% of his attempts. And that was the exact rate, actually, that he threw in the wildcard game, only four of 39 attempts traveling 20 yards downfield. And you wouldn't know it, but the Chiefs actually gained 269 of their 405 receiving yards after the catch in that playoff game. So they were still explosive, but they were not explosive the way we think. And that's what we believe the Bills can do. Uh, McKinnon even led against the Steelers with 106 yards after the catch. So I kind of think they'll lean on him more. But overall, yeah, I'm just I'm just curious where everyone's going to come in. Um, we've seen Tyreek Hill let us down a few times now, even last week, even though he did lead the team in routes run. Still 557-1 isn't exactly the ceiling everyone paid up for. So I wonder how many people will, will jump on him again rather than chasing Travis Kelsey. So, yeah, I'm just kind of gauging because they're all good plays. They're all amazing plays. It's interesting. I think it might be a site thing. And again, I have not run lineups and all that kind of stuff. Allen's a little bit more expensive than Mahomes. I think you're going to find the money for it. I suspect Allen will be more popular for the reasons you guys kind of laid out. Uh, As far as Tyreek, he's 8-2 on Fandle. Uh, Kelsey is also 8-2 on Fandle. And if you jump over to DK, like Tyreek is 6-6, which I don't think we've seen him that cheap all season long. And Kelsey is 6-5, which I feel like we have. Um, But yeah. And also on the other side of that game, like this game's going to be stacked for sure. It's like Diggs at 6-5 on DK, which Another thing, I feel like we haven't seen him that cheap all season long. Uh, seven, eight on Fandle. Uh, jump in here, uh, Rich, as far as those key pieces, uh, you know, we always ask, is it a Hill week? Is it a Kelsey week? Uh, as far as the way how the defense aligned, the way they play defense, um, who do we think is more likely to have uh, a peak game? 
Yeah, we've seen kind of Tyreek now kind of be, he has five or fewer targets in five of his past seven games. Uh, we've seen the Chiefs, too, as the part of their takeoff again in the back half of the season is when the jabronis are doing stuff, right? Yeah. Like this, like that's when the, this Chiefs explosion started happening. You know, you get the Jarek McKinnons and the Darrell Williams and the Byron Pringles. <laughs> uh, when those guys start like contributing and having splash plays, that's when you see the offense take off. Uh, and we're getting, we've had more of those performances as the season's progressed than we did early in the year when it was literally just Tyreek or Kelsey every week. Uh, so that's, that's something else too, that's going on. I, it was Tyreek's first downfield touchdown on a downfield target since week four, he had a 31 yard touchdown. His previous five touchdowns in between totaled 18 yards and a long of eight yards. Like what you know, the, the, the Godfather meme, like, look how they massacred our, our boy, uh, you know, just <laughs> like a reverse Debo. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just yeah, catching into targets. So it was refreshing to see him actually catch a downfield target last week for a touchdown because that used to be like Tyreek's game, right? Like those thirty-plus yard touchdowns. So we used to just any any given moment be able to cash in one of those. Is that a cover uh, you know, two thing, or is that another dumb narrative? Um, no, I mean that's a lot of teams trying to take a lot of that away, and you know the Chiefs moving him around and getting him more targets. They missed they've missed a number of t- opportunities too. There were definitely a bunch of shot plays that were kind of like so close or just missed over that span. Uh, but it was nice to see them finally connect on. Cause they like, like Daniel said, it hasn't really been the chiefs offense the back half of the season hitting those, those big downfield plays like Mahomes creating like outside of, you know, structure and just catching someone, you know, with like a, a, a 60 yard pass that really hasn't been the offense. And it really wasn't that way towards the end of last year either. Um, but no Travis White in this. He's been there the last three times these teams have played. Uh, maybe that gives a little bit of an advantage. I mean, Tariq's had some big games, uh, some high usage games. He had a huge game in the play- playoffs against them last year. Uh, he did have the seven catches and, and the 13 targets when they played earlier in the year. He's just another one of those guys, like, like we talked about with Kittle a little bit, like it always exists, right? Like it doesn't matter how bad it's been going or if it's a little lull, like it always exists though. Um, and that's kind of where Diggs is too. Like both those guys, I mean, combined, they have 500 yard games this year, two for Diggs, three for Hill. Like they haven't really had a, a lot of those big spike weeks. Tyreek does have two monster weeks when he's gotten there. Uh, you know, we had the Eagles game and then he had the other, the Raiders game. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where we are. Like we still, we know it exists for Tyreek, uh, at any given moment. He's always a scary fade, but like we talked about like the chiefs just not being like Mahomes got there last week, but like, and like, it's still like they're not really just terrified of the boogeyman anymore. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It feels like it's happened like less this year. And like you said, talk about the, uh, the, the peripheral pieces amongst the jabronis and you can add, add in Buffalo as well too. Like Manny Sanders and, uh, you know, Davis and Beasley and McKenzie and, you know, Pringle and Hardman, do you have a preference or is it just like dart throwing basically? I mean, Pringle has been the better bet in terms of, you know, just in terms of opportunity. Um, but, you know, obviously like we talked about like Lazard and like some of those guys, like, you just have to catch the touchdown. Yeah, and we don't know who that's going to be. Like, there's really <laughs> – you can make a guess for sure, but it's hard to, like, project touchdowns. Obviously, opportunity a little easier to project. Uh, John, your thoughts? Yeah, I'd like Isaiah McKenzie, just hoping for a carry. We've seen now that's <laughs> how they'll use him. He got three snaps at running back this past week. As um, That's what they're doing. They're Now they're making sure they have someone to attack in the running game. It's been Devin Singletary, but also just the fact that they're getting McKenzie more involved. Uh, This past game, we actually saw the flipping that we wanted to see. Gabriel Davis, 20 routes to Emmanuel Sanders, 17, and Isaiah McKenzie, 12 routes to Cole Beasley's nine. So overall, like they're getting the guys we perceive as more explosive, more involved. Even in the last game that these two teams played, like Cole Beasley wasn't involved whatsoever. Like they didn't use him. And so, yeah, I kind of like sneaking in Gabriel Davis, 
uh, Isaiah McKenzie as secondary stacks, ancillary stacks for Josh Allen if you go that route, especially since we've seen like Stephon Diggs ceiling let us down weekly. What about Singletary? You kind of mentioned him. Uh, of course, he's worth talking about. He's basically taking over that backfield. 5'9 on DK on Fandle, maybe 7'2. Uh, how in are you on that, John? Yeah, I'm in on all of it. Uh, even playing Singletary with Josh Allen, as we talked about a couple times the past two weeks, more, more so in this game because we saw last week, even in getting McKenzie involved as a running back for a few snaps, uh, Singletary ran a route on a season-high 80% of Josh Allen's dropbacks, handled 19 to 20 running back touches, as he's been doing at the last six games when he's handled 84% of Buffalo's overall backfield touches. Also saw all four running back targets. Zach Moss wasn't involved in that role whatsoever. And so, you know, bringing along Singletary with Allen, that's a unique way to get exposure here. And then Dawson Knox, like, He's he's the one who, even in having two touchdowns, is still a good play. 88% of the snaps last week, uh, led the team in routes run, 93% of Josh Allen's dropbacks, and had a 20% target share. So especially if they're expanding their target tree and they're getting everyone involved, that's like less reason to play Stephon Diggs unless we know he's going to come in under roster. It doesn't seem like Stephon Diggs ever comes in under roster, though, uh, unless it's games where Josh Allen also comes in not rostered. But overall, yeah, like bringing Singletary long, bringing Knox long, like all these guys are amazing plays. I would just make sure you pick two of them. Rich, what do you have as far as the Bills? Yeah, that's the thing with Diggs is because anytime the quarterback's highly owned, Josh Allen always is highly owned. These guys come along for the ride, right? It's like yeah. you know, his number one receiver is always going to come along for the ride. Allen was 6% <laughs> last week. This is something Rich brought up to me actually first, uh, playing Josh Allen, knowing that everyone was going to be patient and wait and use the late swap for like Dak and other quarterbacks, you could get Josh Allen at cheap for a game. We like the over, but it wouldn't perceive like the cold narrative. So, okay, I'll take 3% Josh Allen. That's fine. Let's see what happens. And, you know, Mahomes answers, so no big deal. But Allen was 3% in like high stakes. It was crazy. But Diggs was still rostered like in double digits. So Diggs always goes along, even when Allen doesn't go along. Yeah, you're not getting big, a three percent this week. Put a zero behind it, maybe. <laughs> no. Yeah, big big loss for uh, you know weather narratives last week. Even in the Bucks game, that never happened. It just never happened. Never got there. By the time kickoff happened for the Bucks game, you wouldn't even know that there was anything that it, there was like a, a big <laughs> monsoon and storm there. Uh, and then the, there was no wind in that Buffalo game. And I mean, the Bills play a perfect game. They scored on their for all seven. No turnovers. No punts. Right. <laughs> yeah. First time ever. Yeah. No, no, they kneeled out. They. So they had earlier in the season, they had the first game ever without a punt against Bill Belichick. And then they ran it back the second time, uh, you know? So yeah, they, they just played a pristine game. Uh, and what you like about Allen too, is that uh, the, the designed quarterback runs now just begin to become a bigger part of the offense as the season's gone on. And they're just really leaning into that uh, to end the season. He had another 66 yards rushing last week. I mean, he, he has 407 rushing yards over his past six games. His opening 12 games, he had 422. Uh, anytime you can get a player that has that kind of ceiling, like it's it, like there's a re he even has a higher ceiling than Mahomes. Then you have that's kind of like this this matchup. I mean, Steve Spagnolo has been hyper aggressive against Josh Allen. Uh, the three meetings they've had against the Bills, he's blitzed Allen on 48% of his dropbacks. It was the fourth highest that week. 38%, which is the second highest that week, and then 40% of his dropbacks, which is the third highest rate that week. The first, the first two matchups last year, they got to him because we've seen Allen be susceptible to pressure. I mean, even this year, he's 23rd in completion rate under pressure, 16th in yards or pass attempt. They didn't get home in week five. Uh, they were only able to pressure him on, uh, you know, 10, 10 of his dropbacks or eight of his 30 dropbacks when they face in week five. 
So even though they blitz 40% of the time, they pressured him eight of 30 dropbacks. And, you know, when he was able to be kept clean, 13 of 19, 213 yards, 11.2 yards for pass attempt, three touchdowns. Like if Spags is going to be aggressive and the Bills handle that again, like it's just going to be another open invitation to get kind of wrecked. Um, and this Chiefs defense too is still like a team that just like they have to have takeaways. Uh, we saw the only game that they don't have a takeaway over their past 13 games is the Bengals game. And you've seen that like when they don't get those takeaways, you get, you give up 34 points and you give up almost 500 yards of offense that, you know, I, I still have a lot less faith in the chiefs defense than I do in the bills. And I think that's the separator here in this matchup. Cause I think both offenses are excellent and everything checks all the boxes. I think the chiefs will score more points than the 20 they scored in week five. Cause they had four turnovers in that game. I don't think we're going to get see four chiefs turnovers, but I think when it still comes down to it, I still have a lot more faith in the bills getting a stop or two than I do the chiefs. To add to that point, in that stretch, because from week nine on, everyone cites that as when Kansas City changed their offense, uh, but their defense as well, and they limited teams to 16.5 points per game, pressured opposing quarterbacks at the sixth highest rate in that time, and that, that could be true. They become a better defense. They did some things. They moved Willie Gay to linebacker, benched Daniel Sorison, moved Juan Thornhill to safety, but you can also look to Rich's point at their schedule and say, well, they also played Jordan Love, Derek Carr twice, injured Dak Prescott, Drew Locke twice, Ben Roethlisberger, and then Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow, who they struggled against. So overall, like, yeah, it probably goes down to their schedule as well. Uh, and they really haven't faced a real quarterback just yet, like Josh Allen. Yeah, and either of the Bills. I mean, the Bills has been a big thing, yes. but I, but they still have like had an elite like like even they're not giving up anything to those guys, which is crazy. But they definitely faced two top ten quarterbacks all season. It was Mahomes in Week Five, and then Brady. And Brady had a really strong game. He had thirty fantasy points in that game. So I think that outcome still exists here. I think this is set up to be kind of the barnstorm that people expect it to be because of the way the Chiefs are playing right now. But I still just don't believe that that like this Chiefs defense has totally flipped that switch. I think they're just living on the cachet of turnovers like Dallas was, right? Like the Dallas lived this way a lot this year. They play hyper aggressive, try to get turnovers. And that's what you have to do when you have a Chiefs defense, right? Like credit to them. Like you need to play aggressive. You don't have the back end pieces. So um, yeah, it's going to come down to, yeah, if, if Josh Allen can play a clean game, I think that they're going to have a tough time generating uh, enough stops. Yeah, if you do nothing, you're going to get shredded. So yes. like, at least try to do something. Maybe you'll make something positive happen, a turnover or something like that, or a sack and put them in a negative down in the, you know, down in distance scenario. But like, yeah, or you give a touchdown, which you're going to give up anyway. So what's, what's the problem? What's the difference? So you get a few positive scenarios. It makes a lot of sense. And it's a tough place to play too. Noted, you know, Kansas City, one of the tougher places to play, playoff atmosphere, all that stuff. And I don't, I don't know how to quantify how that would affect Josh Allen and uh, that Buffalo offense, but it's probably not a positive. Um, all right. That, that is the four games. Uh, give me this, uh, John, you go first and rich uh, single, uh, single entry GPP, single entry. G- give me the stack you're starting with. If you want to do like a game stack, a skinny stack, and it's a Wednesday night, I'm not holding you to it. Don't worry about it. You don't have to necessarily enter it, but what's the first thing that comes to mind to you that you think is a, you know, this is not a large field single entry contest, thousand people. Uh, what are your thoughts? I like Tannehill. I don't think I have the courage to play him in the very first game, knowing late soft's available with Josh Allen Mahomes just waiting for me there. Like if you're in first place heading into the Sunday night, you're not in first place. Tournaments don't start until that game kicks off. Everything's going to change after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so while I can see myself, depending what happens on Saturday with Aaron Rodgers and the 49ers, I can see myself getting on Stafford if need be, because I do really like Stafford and think like on DraftKings, especially 300 yards and three touchdowns is in the range of possibilities. And that's what helps smash 
match Allen and Mahomes. Uh, I'll probably play around with Stafford stacks and still overstack Bill's Chiefs pieces. But if you told me to pick one, I think I'd still rather come down to Mahomes knowing the field is going to go all in on Josh Allen. I still like that. And if you play Mahomes, you have to play Singletary, hoping he soaks up two touchdowns again from Josh Allen. So I kind of like Mahomes, his stacks, and uh, playing Singletary with him, along with, you know, Higby and Cooper Cup. Same question, Rich? Yeah, I think that's where I'm I'm aligning as well. I mean, the, the three quarterbacks on, on Sunday, Stafford, Mahomes, and Allen. Annoying. Seem the best. Uh, you know, the granted, like I said, I'm sure a bunch of Bucks people come at me uh for this, but you know, that's so be it. Um, I just feel like, yeah, the, the two Sunday games they'll look like the most bangers, right? Like, I yeah. think there is upside in the two Saturday games. Like, I could see a path where Bengals and Titans get there because both those teams do allow big plays. And if the Titans don't, if they, like Henry's not back full strength, they don't run the football well, I think that they're going to set up to be able to uh, have a good passing game. Uh, and then obviously the 49ers game, you can always get there too. But uh, yeah, I'm more targeting these, these Sunday games, which like Daniel said, it makes it harder to kind of play your guys uh, like Tannehill on Saturday uh, on the four game slate. But, you know, you got a lot of one-off potential uh, George Kittle on the four game slate will be a, a lot less owned than he will be on Saturday. Uh, so if you can hit that, you know, you, a lot of people will be playing Kelsey and Dawson Knox, uh, even a little bit of Higby uh, and Gronk on Sunday. So Kittle may be like the one-off guy I'm looking for on Saturday to kind of try to cash in. Um, and then other than that, yeah, I like Arthur Juan uh, in the early game and maybe a little Tyler Boyd. I would also look at Bill's Chiefs defenses because we've seen both these offenses struggle like recently in the last month this year. That was sort of the bias that ran into Dak stacks. It's like, well, like the Bucks defense scored nine points against the Eagles. The 49ers scored eight points. And that didn't make sense considering we saw the Cowboys fail time and time again. So uh, I would definitely look at Bucks. No, I'm sorry. Uh, Chiefs, Bills, defenses. You can't stress enough from a DFS perspective how valuable it is to late swap. And there's also yes. a lot of value in like if you say you play like just Chase and Brown against each other and they both put up like 150 and two, like knowing that information is huge too. Yeah. And like adjust your lineups accordingly oh, yeah. afterwards. And maybe, maybe just maybe get off the goofy play you have lined in and move to the chalk because now you're way ahead and people got to chase you down. And let, let, let them chase you down with something goofy or something like that. If you're lacking I, on two players, go ahead. I mean, I had, you know, after we talked about it, I had 3% Allen last week. And that told me I could play Cooper Cup on Monday. Like, I didn't care about the ownership. It's like, I already got the 3% 42-point quarterback. What do I care? And then uh, I just adjusted accordingly around it. So, yeah, like you said, it literally tells you what you can do with the rest of your lineup. Yeah, once you have the separator locked in, like, then you can, you're just, you know, you're just, you're in control. Like, you're obviously, uh, you're dictating what's going on. And if the chalk fails, so be it, or. You know, you just, you just have much more uh, options as far as making lineups. Well, boys, we made it uh, the longest season. Not officially over, but over from the perspective of the NFL Pick 6 show. Uh, do appreciate y'all. Like, for real, I, I, I love doing this show. Uh, I feel always a smarter having here you two guys. I'm happy to be the third sharpest guy in the room in this conversation. I hope we run it back again next year. Uh, Rich, John, it was an absolute pleasure on my end. Rotor Grinders end, thank you all for joining us um tell the people rich or uh, feel free to give a send off as well rich uh, whatever you want to say and tell the people where they can find your sharp football analysis oh and what are you doing in the off season what, what do we have lined up as far as uh, the dvr we were talking about the pre-show we're like oh we'll, we'll save it we'll save it organically what are the plans like the day after the Super Bowl, besides hibernating for like 30 hours or something like that well some a little looser schedule already i'm three episodes in succession dean um, oh. so I'm inching my way there for you. But yeah, we're going to watch a lot of movies, a lot of TV when we can get there. I mean, it, it, and listen, it doesn't stop. Prospect season will be right around the corner. Uh, so I'll be diving into that. Daigle, is, he's 
done he's mercifully not waded into those waters uh and he never should <laughs> don't ever start uh but that'll be around the corner here you know com- combine will be next month so we'll dive right back into it but uh i always say like oh i'm gonna take all this time off and then you know the, the itch comes back after taking like a week off um but yeah i always love doing the show uh this is great i love spending time with you guys every wednesday night it, it's a little you know kind of gets the ball rolling on like kind of what i'm gonna do during the week uh working with you guys uh like you said the, it's just a really good informative show um i'm glad we got to do it hopefully we get to run it back you know hopefully dan bach wants to bring us back again next year uh and then you can still go to sharpfootballanalysis.com find everything all these game write-ups are, are open to anyone you can check them all out uh and then at lord reeves on twitter john the floor is yours so much pressure um yeah you and rich have sent me in different directions like that's why i love doing this show it's not only a first look for everyone to first wet their lips for the slate but also like it's a blind spot show like there are things that i don't see that rich sees from a different perspective and you as well dean um from your like mme's perspective so it helps me out a ton to do this show as well i look forward and i hope that we get the email from dan bach yet again i literally <laughs> I think I always text Rich like a month before. It's like, hey, have you got an email from Dan yet? Making sure I'm not left out because uh, I love, I genuinely love doing this show every single week. I, I never want it off my schedule. Uh, having said that, I would, I would stick around because offseason plans, they're fast paced. Uh, you can follow at not Jay Daigle on Twitter because there's going to be a few announcements coming. One that's probably going to involve, you know, Dan Bach yet again. So stay tuned for that. Uh, having said that, play Brian Harmon this week. That'll be a little hint. And then, um, and yeah, uh, also a good football show. You can subscribe there. But overall, I won't be in prospect season. I will be in draft season with draft props and uh, game theory and notes and everything. But I also will be in best ball season. So that's going to start in a couple of weeks. Like Rich, I get to each as well. You lay down and take a few naps and then you're like, okay, this needs to start again. Otherwise, we don't know how to fill our free time. So yeah, just stay tuned. Lots of things coming up. But overall, I think a good season. We made it through the longest season ever. Or at least I think we're going to make it there. We've got a couple of weeks left. And this was genuinely the most fun I have all week. I love doing this show. So thank you, Dean, for everything. Likewise. Thank you. And thanks to Devin, producer Devin, for putting up. Of course, Devin, yeah. The show and uh, th- thank you, Devin. We can talk some of my ear whenever I, I goof something up and that uh, gets the graphics all right. So do appreciate Devin as well. And RG for hosting this show. Uh, and, oh, and thanks for watching. Yeah, because if nobody watched, nobody listened, then like, what's the point? It's just three dudes sitting around talking, I suppose. I guess it could be helpful for our own personal lives, but anyone can get hot. Yeah, we should have just said that. Like, <laughs> shout out to the dude in the comments uh, last week. Hey, man, it's the playoffs. Anyone can hot. Just anybody can get can get hot. Just click the buttons. You know, whatever. You, you'll you'll figure it out. Play anybody you want. There you go. Uh, again, for real. Uh, a thankful uh, appreciation to those watching us on YouTube and downloading and all that kind of stuff. While you're at it, hit that like button. Do subscribe. Do turn on notifications. Of course, there's going to be content all up to the Super Bowl. I'm oh, sorry, the big game uh, on Rotor Grounders. Don't want to get hit with that one. I don't know what that costs these days if you say Super Bowl, but it is the big game technically. All right. We got to step aside and get out of here. We took up another hour and a half of your time. We do appreciate y'all listening all season long here to the NFL Pick 6 Show. I presume we shall see. Hopefully, we'll be back next season. That, for the very last time, was Rich Rebar this season. For Sharp Football Analysis, John Daigle, NBC Sports. A good football show podcast. Shout out to producer Devin. I was Dean. This was Roto Grinders. We're out of here. Holler. This is the-